you for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church. To find out more about The Movement Church, you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The OC Movement. Before I dive into this message, I just want to, uh, when we stand like that, what we're doing is it's a, it's a position of honor. And I just, I know we've already said something, but I just wanted to say a special happy birthday to the one and only Megan Robinson. Come on, would you give her a hand clap like never before? You've never made 21 look so amazing. And uh, hey, we are grateful for you. My life is obviously better, my family's life, but our church is blessed because of the gift in you, but most importantly, because you say yes relentlessly over and over and over again. So we're grateful for your contagious joy and your leadership and your passion. I love you. Happy birthday. Everybody shout happy birthday. And you may be seated, man. I'm so excited that you're here. For those of you that are tuning in online, what an honor to uh, be able to spend some time with you through the internets. Everybody say internets. Uh, I want to sh- conclude our series called The Exchange today. But before I do, I'm excited about a big announcement coming your way. And I just want to tell you that uh, I, I've never been more fired up about what God's doing at the Movement Church than I am right now. Um, how many of you know that in March of 2020, some crazy things went down in the uh, world? Yeah. And uh, it, it shifted and pivoted everything on the planet. And we were scrambling, like, okay, let's go online. And then we were at the whims of, of who knows what's going to happen. And we're out of the school, and we're moving studios. And then we're like, okay, we'll be online for a while. Then we're going to go into pop-up campuses because the capacity was going to be only, you know, 25 to 50 people. And it was just nuts. And we were like, we're going to build a plan. And we're going to run at a target because how many of you know you need a target to run at? Can I get an amen from some people? And, uh, and so we built a re-engagement strategy, and it worked to a certain extent uh, until the government shut us down again. And then we were back and was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about? And then this church has been absolutely amazing to us. Our online campus pastor and hosts have been amazing online creating space for people who are not ready to re-engage. And then uh, this past week, about a week and a half ago, we got a phone call from the school district we used to meet in. And I'm just so excited to announce to you that starting on September the 12th, on our ninth anniversary, we're going to be back in Laguna Hills High School on Sunday mornings. Come on. We'll be back. I know some of you love Saturday nights. And I know most of you don't. And so we are so excited. There's so many people who just can't make it on Saturday nights. I personally love Saturday nights, and, but, but I just can't wait. Sundays, there's something about Sunday. The world circles around the fact that church happens on Sundays, and we want to stick with that. So, hey, can I just, for those of you that have been in the journey with us, thanks for sticking with us. And, and d- stick with us still. It's about to get good. We went, got to tour the facility, and it was just like we left it uh, a little over a year ago, <laughs> oddly enough. And the great thing is our sound system that we donated to them is still there. And so uh, we're going to minimize our setup. We'll be starting on the 12th with one service at 10 a.m., and uh, we're going to kick off with a Dream Team practice service on September 5th. So we will not have a service on Saturday night. We will have online available for you. 
but we're going to pull out an oldie but goodie back for online. So be on the Dream Team. You can tour the facility with us. We're going to celebrate together. And then on our ninth anniversary, how crazy is that? Back into the mix of things. And some of you are thinking, what about the Delta variant, the Lambda variant, the Zeta variant, the Omega variant? Well, here's the thing. Everybody look me in the eyes. We are never going to stop meeting ever again. And so even if the school district says, can we hand clap? Yeah. Even if the school district says you can't meet here, we're going to set up church outside. We're going to find a covered space, hoist our LED wall, set up our sound system. We're going to, we're going to bring it for Jesus outside. And you can, you can hazmat suit up. You can mask up. You can do you. Boo boo. Can I get an amen? But we will never not meet again. I'll tell you why. Because the church is essential. And, and Jesus is essential. And uh, I just, my wife and I and our leadership team and our trustees and our overseers and our elders, we are in full agreement on that. And so I'm excited. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to pray that God's hand moves and that the Delta variant and the Lambda variant settle down in the name of Jesus. Can I get an amen? Uh, but we're, we're excited about it. So stay tuned. We'll be bringing you more information about that. And if you're not on the dream team, jump on the dream team. Uh, now is the time, but we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that as we move forward. Um, I, I want to conclude this service and, and do my best in 31 minutes and 44 seconds. And Brooks, can you hang? Is that cool? Is that cool? We don't give it up for Brooks. Do you need a stool? Nah, you don't need a stool. Can you stand on your tiptoes the entire time? That'd be great. I'm kidding. I, uh, I'm, I'm excited to conclude uh, what this great series. Uh, we've been going through the book of Romans. If you haven't been with us, then go back to our podcast. Uh, you can find it in our app, both the uh, service that we have a video of, or you can listen with our podcast. And, and we're going through the book of Romans, which holds these massive swaths of theological influence for the church and for you and for me. And it was a book written by Paul under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And it was written about 25 to 35 years after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And the purpose for its writing was to the church in Rome, which was the epicenter of, of the known world. And so he's writing to the church in Rome because it was comprised of two groups of people. Those who had a Jewish heritage and those who did not. And they were approaching this new gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, based upon their heritage and not upon God's plan for their human flourishing. And what happens is whenever you or I decide to do our own thing, problems show up. So Paul begins to write to the church, and he's kind of reprimanding them. In fact, in the very beginning, we talked about the human condition and about the Pharisaical circles. Last week, Pastor Gurley Gordy dropped serious bombs up here when she was talking about God's grace. And what he's doing is he's saying, hey, keep the main thing the main thing. Turn to your neighbor and say, keep the main thing the main thing. Turn to your other neighbor and say, I hate it when he does that. That was way too loud. Just throwing that out there. Way too loud. He's saying, keep the main thing the main thing. And so it, we're going to just kind of conclude this series in Romans 12. Even though there are four more chapters after this, he starts the conclusion in Romans 12. And, and he's kind of saying, okay, I've told you all these things. And now what I want to do is I want to uh, reinforce the mission. 
the mission of expanding the kingdom of God, preaching the gospel, and building his church. That's the mission. And saying, I, I want to refocus you, recalibrate you back to the fact that Jesus wants to build his church. And as followers of Jesus, that is my priority. And so here, let me just tell you real quickly that it, it, you cannot simultaneously say I'm in love with Jesus and not be in love with his church. You don't have to be in love with every Christian, but you cannot say I love Jesus, but I don't love his church. Church is full of messy, imperfect, jacked up people just like you, which means that messy, imperfect, jacked up things can happen in the church. But it's still the only place where marriages get restored, where people find freedom and hope and salvation. So you cannot say, thank you, front row, for clapping. The rest of you hate his church, apparently. You cannot say, I love Jesus, but I don't love his church. Jesus referred to the church as his bride. It would be like if you came to me and said, Pastor Kerry, I dig you. You're pretty awesome and all. I just really don't like your wife. I would throat punch you. And then I'd walk over your body and hug my wife because I love my bride. And that's how Jesus feels about his church. So Paul is concluding this book, which was really a letter to the Romans saying, hey, let me recalibrate you. Let me kind of slap you around and remind you of what we're here to accomplish. God wants to advance his kingdom. And the instrument for doing that is the church. It is the church. And the church exists for three reasons. Everybody say three reasons. I'm going to say this a few times today, and then I'm going to pray, and we're going to dive into this. The church exists for three reasons. Number one, to worship God. That is our number one priority. As Christ followers, our number one priority is to worship God. Not to be a better person, to worship God. And if we made a life of worshiping God, that would be enough. Just to worship God. I'm going to unpack this in a minute. The second reason the church exists is to help believers grow spiritually that's the second reason this is the priority this is the order according to the word of god number one to worship god number two to help christians grow spiritually the entire book of romans is paul saying hey it's okay that you're not perfect it's okay that you're a little bit jacked up it's okay that everything in your life isn't completely in order but it's not okay to stay that way we, we want to grow spiritually we want to mature in our Faith. So number one is to worship God. Number two is to grow, help believers grow spiritually. And number three is to reach the world. So today we're going to read from Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, and verse 4 through 8. We're going to conclude this whole series with six verses. And I believe what you'll find and I'll find is that God's plan unfolds for human flourishing and his heart for the church. The church exists for three reasons. To worship God to help believers grow spiritually and to reach the world. Can we pray? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Those of you that are online, unless you're driving, bow your heads and close your eyes. And let's just ask God to show up here in a powerful way. God, we thank you that you're here. You're already moving. You're moving miraculously. And we want you to move miraculously in our own lives right now. I just come against every lie of the enemy, every deceptive thought, every high and lofty opinion, every, everything that anyone would have walked in, any nuance that people would have walked in this room or tuned in today that would be a hindrance, a, a hurdle that would prohibit you from experiencing the, what God wants to do in your life. I come against it in the name of Jesus. 
And I declare breakthrough and freedom right here and right now. God, open our ears and our hearts to hear exactly what you want to say and do. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said amen, amen and amen. Well, let's just dive into this. Is that all right? The church exists to worship God. It's, it's our number one priority. But this is not limited to just simply singing songs about God. Paul starts off this passage of scripture, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. Anytime in the scripture the word says, therefore, it's like a hinge on a door that's connecting what he's about to say to what he just got through saying. So when Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, and I might suggest brothers and sisters, what he's saying is, I just finished talking to you about things in chapter 1, verse 18, all the way up until this point about what really matters. He's saying, hey, you were missing the point. You were focusing on the wrong things. You were creating more things to what God had. You were taking things away, and you're missing the moment. He says, hey, brothers and sisters, listen, I appeal to you. As I conclude this letter, hey, there's some things that if you're not careful, you'll miss it. And I love how he says, by the mercies of God. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God. Jesus came to bring mercy to all men and women. And that's what Paul just finished talking about for the previous chapters. God's grace is for everyone who believes. So let me get you refocused unto what matters. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, look at this, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So he says, hey, listen, I just unpacked everything you need to know, and now let me kind of point you in the right direction. Look at these three phrases that he says. I, I appeal to you, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That word living is crucial. Why? Because Jesus sacrificed his life so that we could live. Hey, look at me in the eyes. You were created to live. You are alive in Christ. You are not bound by your sin or your shame. You are not bound by your past mistakes or failures. You are alive in Christ. So when Paul says, hey, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, he's saying, hey, don't just let the, the things and the, the concerns and the burdens of your past hold on to you like a tether to your leg, kind of pulling you backwards. Like, no, you are alive in Christ. The greatest days of your life are still ahead of you. That's what he's saying right now. But present your bodies as a living sacrifice. He's saying Christianity is not easy. And I'm afraid in our American Western culture, we've made Christianity about what it's not about. The word sacrifice is not a cute, easy word. <laughs> it means sacrifice. <laughs> That's what the original Greek, it means sacrifice. <laughs> what he's saying is that present your bodies as a living sacrifice. In other words, to surrender your will to Jesus. Your, your will is your desires. <laughs> and you know what you love? The things that you love. <laughs> That's why they're your desires. And what surrender, when surrender enters into our life, is when my will intersects with his will. And that's called a sacrifice. So Paul's saying, listen, the greatest days of your life are ahead of you, but that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. 
He's just saying that to follow Jesus, this is a must. I think a question worth asking is this. When has doing whatever I want for as long as I want produced the life that I want? When has doing whatever I want for as long as I want produced the life that I want? It's rhetorical because the answer is never. Sometimes pursuing what you want can end in a great location, in a great place, with great pleasure, with great excitement. But if you pursue whatever you want, as long as you want, for the rest of your life, it's going to end in destruction. It's going to end your marriage. It's going to end every relationship. You're going to lose your job. Listen, you, you, you get what I'm saying. There comes a point where we have to make a sacrifice. So Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And that phrase, holy and acceptable, it actually matters. It means that God has a plan for my flourishing. But his plan for my flourishing is opposite my natural inclinations. Even as a pastor, it's not easy for me to say no to the desires of my flesh and say yes to Jesus on a daily basis. It is a sacrifice. And Paul's saying, offer myself as a living sacrifice. But then he adds what's holy and acceptable. Because he knows that I want to decide what type of sacrifice I offer. He knows that my inclination would be to say yes to following him as long as it lines up with who I am, with who, what I want, with where I want to go. Have you ever been invited to a party that was like a bring and share party and they gave you a list of things to bring? I love signing up for the paper plates and the paper cups. Can I get an amen? Like the easiest, I don't have to cook, I don't have to prepare, and I can go to Costco and get enough for 18 parties. Are y'all tracking with me? It's easy to choose the easy way out. Our natural inclination is to do so, but Paul is saying, hey, there's going to come a time when you're going to have to be a living sacrifice with what is holy and acceptable, which means that God has a standard. Holy and acceptable means what is pleasing to him, not what's pleasing to you. And this is challenging. It's not easy. But what he's saying is, when we present ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, it becomes spiritual worship. When we offer our lives as a living sacrifice, our lives and our words and our thoughts and our actions begin to please the Lord. And you want that. That's why Paul's concluding the letter with this. Just this, this week, actually, I think it was... Thursday. I don't remember what day it is today. Maybe it was yesterday. Took my daughter to the DMV to get her driver's license. Yeah. Get off the road right now. Now she's great. It's a big step. Do y'all, how many of you have your driver's license? Raise your hand right now. Okay. Do you remember that? It was terrifying. You had like the meat sweats and you hadn't even eaten meat in like three weeks. Your knee pits were sweating because you were terrified. You know what I'm talking about? Like all you're thinking about, I, I remember reading the little books because back in the day we had books. And then so you probably scrolled through online and, and you're reading everything and you're looking at every video and you're trying to, man, I don't want to fail this test. I don't want to fail this test. And, and you had like, like two or three friends and they, they failed the test and you made fun of them. Now you're thinking, no, everybody's going to make fun of me. You know what I'm talking about? I think my wife fat, failed it like three times, but that's not important. We, we, it's not important. You know, I was trying to encourage, I was like, hey, babe, this is like not even remotely the hardest thing you've ever done. And the worst thing that can happen is you come back and take it again in two weeks if you fail. 
How many of you in this room have gotten your driver's license and faced some higher pressure situations since then? Would you raise your hand? Right? But you remember what it was like in that moment. And it was overwhelming. And she passed and she got her driver's license and I'm proud of her. Come on, let's give her a hand clap. She passed so quick too. Like it was easy. She came walking in like this. Yeah, I got it, Dad. What's up? And I was so proud of her. You know why I was proud of her? It wasn't because she passed the test. It's because she gave everything to studying and preparation. And you know what really made me proud of her? Is we're sitting in the line in our car in the DMV. And I can feel her nerves rising. Like I was getting nervous because she was getting, there was like this anxiety in the car. It was wafting through the air. And you could feel it. Like she didn't want me making jokes. Stop making jokes. She didn't want me to do it. Like just be quiet. We're going to sit here. And the cars were moving up, and there's like six cars in front of us, and there's five cars, and then three cars, and then two cars, and then one car. And what I loved is right before that last car pulled off, she started to recite her mantra. I'm more than a conqueror, chosen by God. I'm good enough because he is good. You know what I loved is in the moments of high pressure, she remembered to turn her attention to who God is. And as a father, oh, it pleased me. I was like, that's my kid. I didn't care if she passed or failed. I mean, I wanted her to pass because I'm tired of driving her places, but I didn't care. <laughs> and when we live our lives where our thoughts, hey, your thoughts, not the words of people here, but the thoughts you think when no one is around, the thoughts you're thinking about people when they are around, your, your thoughts, when your words the words that you speak to your spouse, to your friends, to your boyfriend or your girlfriend, to your children, to your parents, and the actions of your life, when those begin to align with the heart of God, he's like, that's my kid. I'm proud of them. And you know what that is? That's worship. Worship is singing songs like we just sung a moment ago, but it's so much more. It's the life that we live. And that's the life you want to live. It's a life that leads to your flourishing. And there's something that takes place when I'm aligning my heart with his, where it actually begins to shift my desires or the strength that my desires have in my life. It doesn't remove sin, but I get a little bit stronger. I get a little stronger. <laughs> so our job as the church, first and foremost, is to worship God. But listen, all of hell is waging war to get you to pursue what you want rather than what God wants. The challenge is hell's instrument is not wearing a red jumpsuit and carrying a pitchfork. Never has been. The devil's greatest plan is to get you to think he doesn't believe, he doesn't exist. Hell's instrument is our current culture. It's the things that are in our world that tell us what is truth rather than what the word of God says. That's why the church exists, to help spiritual growth of the believers. That's why we exist. Thank you, Megan. Paul goes on to say in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind 
that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Paul is saying that spiritual growth is essential. It's essential. Think about the arguments that were raised in 2020 over what was essential. In the heart of 2020, Target and TJ Maxx were essential, but in-person educational institutions were not. In the heart of 2020, I could fly in a confined cabin in an airplane at 30,000 feet with an individual sitting two feet in front of me and two feet behind me, but I couldn't gather in a church and worship. Now, I'm not here to argue your beliefs about what should have or should not have taken place. What I'm suggesting is that I believe in 2020 there's some things that we missed. And Paul is saying if we're not careful, we won't prioritize growing spiritually and we'll miss something. The church exists to worship God and to help believers grow spiritually. It's essential, but that doesn't make it easy. Because if left to our own intellect, we'll conform to the patterns of this world. And Paul calls spiritual growth transformation. Turn to somebody next to you and say transformation. Turn to your second choice say transformation. Now transformation literally means a metamorphosis, which is similar to what we would see uh, in relation to a caterpillar who's transforming from a caterpillar into a butterfly. Have you ever seen that happen? You ever experienced that? It's an amazing process. And what I love about the word metamorphosis is it means changed into something new. Just like a caterpillar's transformation within a cocoon or a chrysalis. And what I realized and did some research on is that a as a caterpillar spins its cocoon around itself, it's not doing so so that it can rest its body. It's actually beginning a work of transformation because the old body has to die so a new body can be created. And what's really interesting about it is the caterpillar's body will begin to digest itself from the inside out. And literally, this is what the Bible is talking about when it says, be not conformed, but transform. God's heart is not that you change your behavioral patterns first, but God's heart is that we work on our heart first. And we say, okay, God, in order to change the words that I speak, the thoughts that I think, and the actions that I take, I have to make an adjustment in my heart first. Otherwise, it's just a dog and pony show. And we've gotten really good at behaving one way in front of people, but our heart does not follow our Heavenly Father. And Paul's saying, your job, your role is to worship God and to allow a transformation process to take place on the inside. And he says, do so by the renewing of your mind, which means in order to grow, in order to be transformed, we have to replace the way that we currently think. We cannot just continue with old thought patterns and hope to change. We cannot continue with old speech patterns and hope to change. We have to allow God to renew us and transform us from the inside out. Paul's saying, hey, you want to know God's will for your life? You want to know where God's taking you, the direction that he has for you? Then allow God's word to transform you from the inside out. Otherwise, the cultural moment that we live in will transform you. I love the, the imagery of, of, of a caterpillar being surrounded by a cocoon. And, and Paul, Paul knew that God set it up so that we could be transformed, not on our own, but in relationship. 
This is why we do connect groups. We, we do connect groups not because we're just trying to think of something else to do. No, it's because we realize that Pastor Joe needs a lot of help to transform. And you know what's even worse? His wife, Katie, holy cow. We need help. And so what a cocoon is, it's the relationships that I have in my world that are there to help sharpen me, to help strengthen me, to help challenge me. And God set it up this way. He said the church exists to worship God and to be transformed. But Carrie, you're not strong enough. Your inclination is to slide back into the ways you've always lived. Paul talked about that in the beginning of Romans. Remember the human condition is to do what human condition has always done. To repeat horrible patterns. You need a connect group. A connect group is where you're known and needed. It's where people know what you're walking through and can pray for you. It's where someone can say, hey, stop being a knucklehead. If the greatest days of your life are ahead of you, then you've got to make some changes, brother. And then God does this transformational work from the inside out. We're made new and we grow in our understanding of God's heart. I was just thinking about baptisms that happened a few weeks ago and I loved hearing the stories of what took place and one of the young ladies who got baptized, her name was Kimya. And she got into the waters of baptism and, and I told my wife, make sure they have their testimony written and Kimya just took the mic, let me just tell you what happened. <laughs> I don't know how she walked in the waters, but she did. Not on the water, but in the water. And I'll never forget when she came to our church a few years back and came with a boyfriend and that relationship didn't work out and, and she just started to lean in and got involved in a connect group and stayed faithful in attending and kept going to the connect group and allowing other girls to encourage and inspire. And what I loved most about baptism is that she shared her testimony of what God had done in her life. It was her connect group leader that got to help baptize her. And she went public with her faith. And there's something that's beautiful about that. And I just wonder, are, are you in a connect group right now? Are you praying for the greatest days of your life, but you're removing yourself from the greatest potential? I didn't set it up this way. God did. I'm just trying to follow his plan for human flourishing. And I think you want that too. What's interesting about the caterpillar's metamorphosis is that it's not complete until it actually breaks free from its cocoon. Now, I'm not encouraging you to break free from connect groups. <laughs> but the transformation is completed as it busts out of that cocoon, and that's when we see the beauty that has transpired. And I just want to encourage you that God is doing a work in us. Look at me in my eyes. But he's doing a work in us so that he can do a work through us. He's doing a work in us so that he can do a work through us. So the church exists to worship God, to help believers grow spiritually, and to reach the world. To reach the world. And the world is huge, and this is overwhelming, and it can feel challenging. It can feel nigh impossible. But that's why Jesus established the church. Because he realized, I need some friends that are going to help me in accomplishing my mission which is helping people find out the hope that is found only in Jesus. He realized that you and I, we, we can't be alone if we're going to grow spiritually, but listen, we're also not alone in reaching the world. He put us in a family 
Or as Paul refers to it in Romans, he put us into a body. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 4. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body, and individually members of one another. So he uses bodies here because he realized, and we get the imagery that our body parts don't function without each other. The hand is necessary, but it doesn't work if I don't have an arm. My legs are great, but if I don't have feet, they're not as beneficial. So Paul's saying we're a part of something bigger than ourselves. We're a part of a family. We belong to the body of Christ, and that is the church. The church is necessary for spiritual growth, and the church is necessary for reaching the world. Look at me in the eyes, and this is what terrifies me with the rhythms that were developed over 2020. We cannot make our faith in who Jesus is only about being spiritually transformed. It is crucial, and it is a priority, but we have a responsibility to reach the world. I think they have a picture of one of my best friends. His name is J. Bruce Ismay. I think you might have heard of him before. We're good buddies. Although, if I had that mustache, I feel like I could take over the world right now. Now, many of you may not remember the name, but he is the owner of the Titanic, and it was his dream to build an ocean liner so big that it was unsinkable. And if you watch the movie, which I'm sure is 100% historically accurate, he's portrayed as some pompous, pride-filled coward who, in the very end of the movie, jumps onto a lifeboat and steals a seat from women and children. But that didn't actually really happen. The truth is, he actually spent the last hour of the ship as it was sinking, helping women and children get onto the lifeboats. And then once all the boats were taken and there seemed to be no one else to get on, he took a seat and was actually saved. What is interesting about his story is he did have the authority to decide and determine how many lifeboats would make it onto the ship. And 65 lifeboats is what that boat, that ship was equipped to carry. And 65 lifeboats was enough to have a seat for every soul on that ship. But 65 lifeboats seemed just a little too cluttered for my friend J. Bruce Ismay. It didn't look as appealing. It was a little uncomfortable for him. And he was convinced the lifeboat would never go down, and it was his decision to equip the Titanic with only 20 lifeboats, which cost the lives of 1,500 people. And man, my fear is that we'll be so focused on getting right on the inside that we'll forget that God created us to be a lifeboat for our world. Not just our world, but our city. Not just our city, but our neighborhood. Not just our neighborhood, but our neighbors. The church exists to worship God, to grow spiritually, and to reach the world. So what are you doing about it? What are you doing about it? What I want all of you to do is get a soapbox and a bullhorn and stand on your street and yell, turn or burn. Now look at what Paul says as I try to conclude in a minute and 46 seconds. Romans chapter 12, verse 4 through 8. Remember, this is Paul concluding the book of Romans. He's bringing it all to a conclusion. In the verses he says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. 
In other words, God didn't create us exactly the same. Some of us are the hands, some of us are the elbows, some of us are the earlobes. He says in verse 5, So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Verse 6 says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. And the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. What's the part that you play? Are are you on the team helping build God's church? Are you on the team helping build God's church? It's why he brought us together. It's why the church exists. To worship God. To help spiritual growth of the believers. And to reach the world. We're about to go into a brand new season. We're about to see an amazing breakthrough take place. As we take some ground back that I believe the enemy stole. As we launch back into a new season on a ninth anniversary, we're going back to the future. Can I get an amen? And look at me in the eyes. Some of you have been hesitating. Some of you have been waiting. Some of you have a gift that God has deposited within you, and you are letting it go unnoticed, untouched. And it's not just impacting you. It's impacting your world. And not only that, it's part of your spiritual transformation. Because I want God to do a work in me. But man, you haven't lived until you've been a part of a team of people who say, I'm willing to let God do something through me. I just want to bring our service to a conclusion tonight and challenge you. If you're not on the team, what are you waiting for? Get on the team. There's 3.2 million people in this county God's called us to 17 cities. In the 17 cities, there's 1.4 million unchurched people. And they live on your street. They go to work with you. You've been on Zoom with them all year, hoping they've been wearing pants. (laughs) And we're going to hand you invitations on your way out. And God said, oh, man, I put that person, man, I put Eric in their world on purpose so that when he goes to work, and that invitation is going to change the life. Man, I put Dwight. Man, they, that, that's, I gave, gave you those neighbors on, perfect, on purpose, Dwight. Because, man, I'm going to give you an invitation. It's going to be exactly what they need to experience the hope found only in Jesus. Are you tracking with me? And they're going to show up to a building. Maybe here. Maybe at Laguna Hills High School. And there's going to be some messy, imperfect, jacked up people who have great smiles. Not because they're faking it but because we have a lot of coffee and because God's doing the work on the inside. Because we're not going to live small lives. Because God's taken us somewhere and he put us in a family of believers on purpose so we can worship God, grow spiritually, and reach the world. Let me shift gears for one minute. I do this every week. 
I do it every week because it's why I exist. I just, there are some of you in this room who haven't begun the journey with Jesus. Some of you who are online right now and you've not begun the journey with Jesus and today's your day. The good news is you don't have to get perfect. You don't even have to be a member of a church. The Bible says it's for all who believe. And I don't want to let this moment pass without you beginning that journey with him. Why? Because there's nothing like belonging to the body of Christ so that you can grow spiritually and reach the world. But it begins by saying yes. And if you're here or online and you've never prayed this prayer, or listen to me, if you're here or online and you've been running from God and today's your day to come running back, then in a moment I'm going to pray a prayer and right where you're at, you're going to make that prayer your own. Do me a favor, everyone in the room, heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around, nobody moving. If that's you and you've never prayed this prayer, you've never begun the journey, then make this prayer your own. Heads bowed, eyes closed, and a small whisper of the quietness of your own heart. Just say, dear God, I know that you're real. I know that you love me. I know that you've given me purpose. But I'm not perfect, God. Would you forgive me? And now just make this statement your own. Just say, Jesus, I give you my life. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you. Would you email us at info at theocmovement.com? And if you're not in the area, we would love to help you find another life-giving church near you. Send us an email at info at theocmovement.com and we'll get back to you shortly. Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church.